Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this edition of The Intersection from World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Alan Jackson, who is not only a well-known pastor, but a noted communicator on current trends, highlights the current conflict involving Israel and its biblical implications. That leads into material from a recent conversation with Susan Michael, who leads International Christian Embassy Jerusalem USA. She describes that organization's work in standing with the Jewish people and how ICEJ and its sister organization that she leads, American Christian Leaders for Israel, are responding to the current crisis. And on this edition of The Intersection, Nicole Hunt from Focus on the Family provides relevant comments on the recent vote in Ohio on Issue 1, which had as its intent the establishment of a constitutional right to abortion in the state. She analyzes the vote and its potential effect on the pro-life movement moving forward. Finally, Jeff King of International Christian Concern shared a report recently about leading persecutors of Christians worldwide. And among the situations he highlighted were the continuing brutal treatment of Christians in Nigeria, as well as the unfortunate conditions of the Armenian people being perpetrated by Azerbaijan. You'll be hearing from him coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Alan Jackson is senior pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and is known not only for pastoring a large church in the Nashville area, but as someone who provides a Christian worldview perspective on current trends. Recently on The Meeting House, he discussed the current challenges that Israel is facing and provided a historical and spiritual perspective on how Israel has been opposed by forces in our world throughout the years and how Christians can respond today. Here now from that conversation is Alan Jackson. Throughout history, there is a long record of anti-Semitism and that hatred and persecution of the Jewish people. And I think we often want to believe that we have moved past it, but it's very apparent that it persists until today. You know, there's the, and the, the awkward truth of that is the Christian church has been the greatest propagator of that anti-Semitism. I studied at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and while much of the Christian world in the West is not aware of our history, I assure you the Jewish people are. You know, Shakespeare would use Jewish characters uh, and present them with the worst character. We typically think of the Holocaust as being something propagated by the Nazis, and they certainly shared the lion's share of the responsibility. But the awkward reality is all of Europe cooperated with that and offered up their Jewish communities. And they were not unaware of what was happening. They were just unconcerned. And we, we see that flourishing in today with the behavior on some of the most elite universities in our nation, where students are protesting on behalf of Hamas. A, a terrorist organization recognized by our own State Department, which is not a conservative group. And it, it's an expression of a hatred for the Jewish people and combined with a real ignorance of history. You know, there has never been a country named Palestine. Palestine references a region of the Middle East. There was never a president of Palestine or a central government of Palestine. It was, and it was the Romans that identified the region of Palestine in the second century A.D. They wanted to eliminate the Jewish presence in, in Israel, 
so they renamed the city of Jerusalem, they expelled the Jews, and they renamed the region, and they borrowed the Philistines, which had been a coastal people. Well, that's the second century. Muhammad wasn't born until the sixth century. So hundreds of years before Muhammad was even born, the Romans put the name of Palestine, trying to separate the land from its Jewish heritage. And we just have such a poor grasp of history and the events there that were easily manipulated by people with an agenda that tragically is often laced with a real hatred for the Jewish people. I appreciate your step into history here, and I'd like to go back even further to the book of Genesis, to what God had spoken to Abraham, and I'd like for you to draw that line between the covenant that God made with Abraham and his choice of Abraham's descendants to Israel today, and explore that relationship for us, if you would. Well, that's a really good point. In the book of Genesis, God promised Abram that he would give a piece of territory to him and to his descendants forever. And that promise is picked up and repeated in the book of Exodus when when Moses is talking to God about the people, and it it becomes a part of the story. Uh, Unfortunately, there is an idea that has flourished in amongst evangelicalism, and that's that God replaced the Jewish people. It's not a new idea. It's a problem in the New Testament church. It's a problem in the book of Romans. Paul wrote Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, really addressing that problem. And he asks the question in the pages of our scripture, did God reject the Jewish people? And he answers with the most emphatic language that's available in Greek. He said, God forbid, or by no means. And he repeats it multiple times. In fact, in Romans 9, the first two verses, he reminds us that without the Jewish people, we would have no covenant, we would have no law, we would have had no worship, we would have had no prophets, we would have had no Messiah, that in reality we owe a great debt to the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus echoed it in the Gospel of John when he said to the Samaritans, you worship what you don't know and we worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Without the Jewish people, we don't even have salvation. So there is a fundamental debt that the Christian Gentile world owes to the Jewish people. I don't think it's an accident that in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, Jesus is identified as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So when we have this picture of the culmination of the age and Jesus returning to the earth as the judge of all the earth, he is identified, he identifies himself with the Jewish people. He's the Lion of Judah. So the, the, the New Testament is very clear. God didn't reject the Jewish people. He didn't abrogate his covenant with them. That you and I have been grafted into that tree that God established all the way back in Genesis, as you so correctly pointed out. We are not a new story. We are standing on the basis of those covenants that God made all the way back in Genesis. And the more we're aware of that, I think the more committed we'll be to praying for the peace of Jerusalem and being an advocate for the Jewish people in the earth. I believe we have an assignment to do so. Alan Jackson here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, Jackson.com. The church's website is wochurch.org. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Susan Michael, USA Director for International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and Executive Director of American Christian Leaders for Israel. In our conversation recently, she discussed ICEJ's and ACLI's responses to the conflict with Hamas, which began on October 7th. She shared about developments and commented on how Christians can view the events 
Here now from that conversation is Susan Michael. Bob, I just returned from Washington, D.C., where I was with three of the families of these hostages. And let me tell you, it is heartbreaking. These are really beautiful, good people, and their loved ones have been taken, and they don't know where they are. They don't know if they're If they were injured, if they've received medical care, they don't know if they're getting their medicines, they don't know anything about them. And they constantly throughout the day wondering, well, what is is my loved one doing? What's my brother doing right now? Is he getting food? Is he cold? Does he have a blanket? How is he sleeping? They don't know anything. And the International Red Cross is not getting in there and forcing the Hamas to let them uh, meet with the hostages, which is against international law. Um, but the, the morning of October 7th was the most horrific attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. That's how bad it was. And that's why we as Christians need to stand with Israel now. Um, we, uh, let me say one other thing, Bob, with that attack, went a deception around the world. The enemy was so well organized that there were 128 protests the very next day. Now, how did they organize mm. that quickly? How did they know? But they they were ready. They may not have known the date, but they were ready to jump into action when it happened. And the rest of us were running behind trying to catch up trying to answer the lies, trying to demonstrate the support for Israel that is there and that rightfully uh, belongs to them. So you're right. We've been very, very busy working around the clock, both in Israel uh, and around the world. What we're dealing with are spiritual forces here. And when you look into the scriptures, when you see the relationship of God to Israel, the Jewish people, I think it's very natural that we see that that Christians' attitudes toward Israel should be positive. I'd like for you to take, take us through why it is that you and other organizations are, are really encouraging Christians to stand with Israel. Biblically speaking, why is that a good thing? Well, we have to understand two things. One is that the Jewish people were chosen, and and I always make the point, they weren't, God didn't line up all the peoples of the earth, say, okay, I like this group better than the rest of you, so they're my chosen people. Mm -hmm. No, he created them. Isaac's birth was a miracle. He created this line because he needed a people through whom he was going to bring about his plan of redemption for the world. And so he gave them the covenants. He revealed his presence to them. He gave them the law for instruction so that through them, that's gone out to the whole world. He gave them the birth of the Messiah. So through them, that's gone out to the world. But the calling isn't over yet. Not until it's all over (laughs) is it over. And his promises are still being fulfilled. That's why he's brought them back to the land for the final stage of history, and they play a central role to that and to the coming of Messiah, which we would say the return of of Jesus. Mm. So that's why we have to stand with them because God is using them and he's promised that whoever blesses you and what I'm doing here, creating this nation, 
will be blessed because we will be blessing what God is doing. So that, that's number one. Number two, we need to understand the spiritual opposition to that. It's the very powers of hell that are against God's plan of redemption for the earth because at the end, it means their demise. It's all over for evil when the kingdom of God comes. So they will fight the Jewish people. They will fight their presence in the land. They'll fight this to, the, to their death because it means their death. So we as Christians understand spiritual warfare. The, the New Testament tells us we have the armor to fight the spiritual battle. And so we need to pray for the people of Israel. We are called to stand with them and support them, but to pray for them as watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem who never hold their peace and are not silent until God fulfills all of this and has established Jerusalem that prays in the earth. Susan Michael here on The Intersection. You can learn more about International Christian Embassy Jerusalem by going to icejusa.org. For American Christian Leaders for Israel, you can access acl4israel.com. You are listening to The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu at faithradio.org. At The Meeting House homepage, as well as through that programming menu, you will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. Plus, there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can access the homepage through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcast. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Life Issues Analyst for Focus on the Family and Contributor to the Daily Citizen, Nicole Hunt. In our recent conversation, she provided analysis and commentary relative to the approval by voters in Ohio of an amendment that would allow abortion during the entirety of a woman's pregnancy. She also noted the implications for the pro-life movement. Here now from that conversation is Nicole Hunt. What do you think are the the dominant messages now that the pro-life movement can not only receive, but also to communicate to the voting public here as we enter into a major election year coming up next year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have to keep in mind uh, when it comes, first of all, to funding, funding continues to be a problem for the pro-life movement. And now in Ohio, um, we did better. The pro-life organizations did better fundraising in Ohio than they did in Michigan. 
Um, but I think we have to take into account that the pro-life movement has been outraised and outspent by the abortion establishment in all seven of these ballot measure elections. Now, we know that money isn't everything, but when it comes to elections, money gives you access to voters, and the more money means more time communicating a narrative to the electorate. So to a degree, it is absolutely essential that the pro-life movement take fundraising seriously, and especially when it comes to being forced to have to defeat ballot abortion amendments that are being brought forward by the abortion lobby. We know there are at least six more states that we are expecting to see the abortion industry target um, next fall, actually. So Arkansas, Missouri, South Dakota, Nebraska, Arizona, and Florida. We've at least identified those, and there could be more. So we have to be prepared to be able to defend the pro-life position. But I think the most important thing that we need to keep in mind is that raising money to defeat these amendments doesn't change culture. And we mm -hmm. have a culture problem right now. A majority of Americans say that they want restrictions on abortion, but when they are pressed at the ballot box, they vote for unrestricted abortion. And so I think if we want to see ourselves winning pro-life laws in the future, putting pro-life lawmakers into positions of authority, then the pro-life movement, you and me, all, every one of us, person by person, needs to be investing into a culture to change hearts and minds on abortion. That has to be the priority if we want to see more pro-life laws and more pro-life lawmakers. And just as we close, Nicole, very quickly, you talk about changing hearts and minds, and we hear the phrase culture of life. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the biblical viewpoint of the sanctity of human life, someone might ask, well, Nicole, what can I do? How can I be involved in creating that culture? How can I be involved in changing hearts and minds? What would you say to, in response to that? I would say some very basic and easy Easy yeses would be to get involved in a pregnancy resource center in your community. Uh, if there's not a pregnancy resource center in your community, then to get involved with uh, other pro-life organizations. There's some national organizations, but the more that we spread the word that um, life is worth protecting, and in particular, the more that we reach out and serve women who are in need, who need community and who need help, that we are spreading the message of love. We are spreading a a message that is life-affirming that says, not only do I care for this mother or her, her pre-born baby, we care for her, this mother and this baby. Now that this baby's been born, walking with women is so important. And then just being able to enter into a conversation with your neighbors or the moms and dads on your kid's baseball team to talk about what's important about protecting life. Those are the things that are going to change people's minds on the culture. Nicole Hunt here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website address is focusonthefamily.com. The Daily Citizen site can be accessed at thedailycitizen.org. Well, you are listening to The Intersection podcast. Here now are some comments from Jeff King, president of International Christian Concern. In our conversation, he highlighted the 2023 Persecutor of the Year Awards released in correlation with the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church in early November and discussed what is occurring in some specific countries regarding the persecution of Christians. Here now from that conversation is Jeff King. We've got Nigeria, North Korea, India, Iran, China, Pakistan, Eritrea, Al Algeria, Indonesia, and Azerbaijan. All right. And now, is this in any particular order? 
there is an order to it. And, you know, on, uh, on any given year, for instance, you know, you could have North Korea as number one. Uh, I think most, most people who are Christian have some idea of what's going on in North Korea. It's just an absolutely horrible place. They've probably murdered uh, through uh, outright assassination or long-term imprisonment in concentration camps, probably at least a million Christians, you know, over the last 50 years. But we've got Nigeria first, Bob. And the reason we have Nigeria first is because what's happened in the last 20 years? Um, you've got, I mentioned already, you've got probably up to about 100,000 Christians murdered in the last 20 years. You've got three and a half million Christian farmers or, and families that have been pushed off their lands. And the culprit in all this, so it gets complicated once you get into details, but it's really simple if you just look at the surface because it's radical Islam. It's armed Islamic terrorists. It doesn't matter if you call them the Fulanis or Boko Haram or another one of the flavors they have in there. But this is a massive ongoing campaign. It's a genocide. It's a massive land grab. It's jihad. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons we have Nigeria at the top is that for 20 years, they've come to my hometown, Washington, D.C., the government, and they, they come in and they talk to the State Department and, and different agencies within the, the government and members on the Hill. And they say, my gosh, this is such a complicated problem, but we desperately care about it and we're trying our best. But what a complicated thing. And these are guerrilla fighters and we can never find them. And if you gave us more money in arms, we might be able to really do something. And so this goes on for 20 years. And, I, you know, I, to wake people up, I say, imagine in our country, uh, 400,000 Christians have been murdered in the last 20 years. And the government kept saying, gosh, it's terrible. Mm. It's so hard to solve. These guys are tricky. It's like it doesn't fly, right? It's like we need to wake up. And the reason, the reason this happens year after year and nothing is ever done is the Islamists are throughout the government and they control all the organs of state. They control the army. They control the intelligence agencies. They control the police. And so nothing happens year after year, just little tiny things. If, if, if any of these groups attack the government, then they'll, you know, they'll get some attention. But for the most part, they're left alone because they are doing the will of the, that hidden hand in the government that is radical Islam. People may be familiar with the Armenian genocide, which took place uh, around mm -hmm. 100 years ago or so. Yeah. And this is Armenian, the Armenian people, predominantly, as we might say, people with a Christian background. Yeah. And yeah. there was a genocide. And it was basically at the hands of the then Ottoman Empire. The remnants of that now concentrated in, as we might say, modern-day Turkey. But, but you see, again, yeah. that, that Christian v. Islamic type of tension. Would you say that history is, in a sense, maybe to a smaller scale, repeating itself now with respect to the Armenian people and Azerbaijan, which is really attempting to perform, as I've seen it reported, ethnic cleansing in that section of the world in Southern Asia and Southern Europe. Comment on that, if, if you would, please. Absolutely. Well, Bob, first of all, if I was a teacher, I'd give you an A+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> hardly, well, first of all, you. hardly anybody could knows <laughs> where these places are, but the big, the big players on the surface are Armenia and Azerbaijan, and you nailed it. So this is uh, when I start talking to people, they're like, oh, my gosh, where? And then I yeah. can kind of drill down from there on where and what happened. But it's what you said. It's really a simple story. 
And the the Turks, you know, had uh, went on a jihad, and they killed over a million Christians around World War One um, in Armenia. And this is nothing but a reprise. This is uh, part part two. And so there's it's a proxy war. So Azerbaijan is really their client, and the Turks released them. They took the leash off and said, "Go after this part mm. of Armenia. We want it." But really, this is a story of radical Islam, and with Turkey at the center. Uh, President Erdogan is a, nothing but a radical Islamist. He came in as a sheep in wolf's clothing. He's a very, very dangerous actor. Jeff King here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the organization at persecution.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through that menu, as well as the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection, as well as the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to The Intersection, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And you can watch video of Meeting House guests on the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link provided from the homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming menu at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden. 